You can have a seat. Thanks for being here on a cold Sunday morning. Really glad that you're here. I hope you, I hope you feel that and sense that every time you come here. Uh, whether it's like a welcome for the first time or a welcome back, I hope, I hope there's warmth here, not only like physically. I know this room isn't physically super warm, um, but I hope you feel that at least emotionally, relationally, that this is a, a warm room for you to be in. Um, I think regardless of what your thoughts are on when you're allowed to celebrate Christmas or everybody else is allowed to celebrate Christmas, uh, but I think we've all entered into that stage. Like we're in December, uh, welcome to December. We are exactly three weeks away from Christmas. Let that stir some excitement. Uh, anybody recognize the little holiday backdrop? Am I right? Typically an ice blue, uh, now a Christmas red. So welcome to you. Um, I, I feel like I'm entering into a stage in our family uh, where Christmas, the holidays, is becoming more and more fun. Now that we've got kids who will in January be three and one, it's just getting a little bit more exciting. Like Brooks is now recognizing some more things around the holidays. Traditions are being formed, which has been super fun. Uh, also, this past Friday, I, I got this, this boost in my energy because the boys are back. And if you know what I mean, the boys are back. Uh, we will officially find out at noon today that Ohio State has made the college football playoff. Uh, no surprise, because they are definitely a top four team. So if you're wondering, uh, they're going to be back. So this weekend, uh, I felt a lot of energy. I said last week we were ride or die. At times, it's felt like we all died together. And we've, we've risen. And so we're all riding together into the end of the year. So that's where we're at. Listen, uh, we have been kind of climbing through the Lord's Prayer in a series for several weeks. One of the things uh, that is always strategic is at times uh, we'll go kind of quickly through some different series. Maybe we'll quickly go through books of the Bible or narratives. And at other times, uh, strategically as well, we'll kind of slow down, throttle it back, and spend some time slowly working through some things. Typically, in the life of our church, We've gone relatively quickly, and this series we've decided to just pump the brakes a little bit, slow down, dive into some really powerful, weighty things Jesus has to say about prayer. And so for several weeks, we've been unpacking in Matthew 6 this masterclass Jesus has on prayer. If you've ever figured out, like, uh, man, what, what would it actually look like for somebody who wants to be good, effective, healthy, passionate in prayer? What would they even look like? How would we talk? Who are we talking to? What's the types of things that populate a healthy prayer life? This is what we've been looking at. And fortunately for us, some of the things you'll hear us repeat a lot through this series is we get a class from Jesus on what healthy prayer looks like in the life of his friends and his followers. This is not something that we just get to sit in on the prayer of Jesus. We can do that in other places, but here in Matthew 6, this is what Jesus intends his followers to, to the who of prayer and the what of prayer. We, we get to hear from Jesus himself. Uh, you've heard us say often that this is like a class, not a prayer to be memorized and then recited. It's actually far more special and far weightier than just repeating these lines and checking some boxes. There's, there's so much going on. And so we have for several weeks just tried to poke in a little bit at each of these statements to see what Jesus intends and the fullness that can come from just a little bit of diving underneath the surface. We're gonna, we're gonna continue 
working our way through here. I'm, I'm gonna read for us. If, if, this, if you have a Bible, it's a great time to grab it. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter six. Uh, if you've been here a lot, uh, again, this is a well-worn page over the last several weeks. So Matthew six is the best place to be. I'm gonna read through the Lord's Prayer again in its fullness, and then we're gonna kind of hop in where we're going here this morning. Uh, here's what it says, starting in verse nine. It says, this then is how you should pray. Matthew 6, 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I, I, I feel like mentioning this. I hope as I, I read down through this, my, my hope is that when we say certain things, you can recall some weight that has come from other messages we've spoken in this collection. Uh, I hope that when we say even something like our Father, that brings some weight to some things we've talked about. That's the intention. But here's, here's the full prayer. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This morning, verse 12 is gonna get all of our attention. And let me reread that. Here's what Jesus has to say. He says, and forgive us, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, let me define a little bit because forgiveness uh, is a concept and a term uh, that can maybe mean some different things for you than somebody else. It can come with a lot of weight or very little weight. And so let me define a little bit of what Jesus intends when he speaks of forgiveness. Several statements, let it add weight to what he intends. Forgiveness is allowing God to be the just judge. It's giving up our role to even the scale. It's like leaving the baggage with Jesus and freeing yourself to be able to walk away from situations. It's seeing somebody as who they were before the offense. It's refusal to seek payment and refusal to dwell on an offense. And when Jesus speaks of forgiveness, which is what we're gonna really dive into here this morning, these are the concepts that come with forgiveness. Now, I know even in a room this size, as we direct our attention to forgiveness, I understand some of you may feel some pretty fresh pain when we speak of forgiveness. That can stir some things up in you because you've gone through some things, you've been, you've been wronged in some ways that feel unforgivable. And so even mentioning forgiveness for a lot of us can come with like a listen, you don't understand all the details. You don't understand what's really happened to me. You don't understand the wrongs I've endured or the people who have wronged me have have maybe been malicious. They've meant to wound. They've meant to break. So the clearest thing I want to say here on the front end is that what Jesus is about to attempt is to lead you in what he would think is a better life for you, not a worse one. What I'm going to attempt here this morning is not to try to belittle and strip the sensitivity out of very real things you've had to endure, very real things that people have done against you that's caused really significant pain, that's deeper and longer lasting than broken bones and torn ACLs. I understand that some of you have stories in here that if shared would cause this room to literally gasp. I understand that that's here in the room and my attempt, like Jesus's attempt, It's not trying to strip away that it's not actually a big deal. You should just forgive and then forget about it. What Jesus is up to and what I'm up to is ultimately 
just an invite into what he would consider as the better life, not a worse one. This is what he's going to do. And, and I would also say this, that if you feel yourself wanting to dismiss what Jesus has to say because you're just not sure we have all the information or Jesus has all the information, let me say, I totally understand. I think I know humanity enough to know that the things that many in the room have endured is absolutely heartbreaking. And so I wanna say, I, I hear you. And I think what I ultimately have to say to you, those who walk in with very fresh pain, I think what I ultimately have to say to you might be surprising to you in the end. And so stick with me for the next 30 minutes because I think on the other side of what Jesus has to say about forgiveness, regardless of your story, regardless of where you're at in being wronged and how significant that was, I think there's life for you and I think you're gonna be happy and impressed with what Jesus ultimately has for everybody in the room. Now, while Jesus is speaking on prayer here, um, he, he says some really weighty things about this concept of forgiveness, and for us to fully understand it, I want us to trace it a little bit further than just what Jesus says in here, because Jesus lays a concept before us in the Lord's Prayer that he actually explains in depth a couple pages later in the same book of your Bible that you're in, if you're in Matthew. Here's again what he says. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. According to Jesus, there's this unmistakable link between the forgiveness we pass out and the forgiveness that we receive. Like for you to be somebody who's healthy and free and without burden in the forgiveness you're passing out, there's a link to people who pass that out from what they're giving out and what they feel like they have received. Now, interestingly for us, Jesus is gonna zero in on this concept a little bit further. So you have a couple options. You can turn to Matthew 18, a couple pages further if you want. Uh, I'm gonna really walk through a story Jesus gives to bring weight to this. You can listen to it, you can turn to it. Uh, that's up to you, but it's in Matthew 18. Jesus is asked a question about forgiveness, which gives him the opportunity and the occasion to say some pretty radical and weighty things to a group of his friends and his followers. Matthew 18, verse, verse 21. Here's, here's the, the context. It says, Then Peter, who's a close friend of Jesus, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Uh, up to seven times? In verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. See, here's the question that sets Jesus off. The question before him is about frequency of forgiveness. Now, I don't know the occasion and the context, but a friend of Jesus is starting to get to the end of the rope. He thinks like there's gotta be a ceiling on the amount of forgiveness I can pass out to a particular individual or to several individuals. Like, how often am I expected to pass out forgiveness to people? This is the question. And, and he, like, tries to throw a ceiling out there, like, seven times? Like, what do you think about seven? And Jesus takes that number and he just blows it up. He's not giving a numerical value of a ceiling. Jesus is actually trying to remove the ceiling. To say there isn't a ceiling, and then he tells this story to create perspective. Here's what he says in verse 23. It says, therefore... The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, you've got a situation where a, a random guy has accrued a debt with a king, and it comes time where the king's like, it's, it's time for everybody to pay up. Everybody who owes me money, it's time to pay up. And Jesus says this particular servant owes 10,000 bags of gold. Your Bible might say 10,000 talents. This is the greatest financial number Jesus could have given in the context and language. This is as much money as Jesus could have possibly communicated. One bag of gold or one talent is equal to 20 years worth of full-time income. So, so this servant sits in the throne room in a situation where he literally owes 200,000 years worth of full-time income. No vacation days, no weekends off, 200,000 years of working. This is what he owes. Now, to give some context, in our current world, I remember in middle school, I had a social studies teacher that I thought was super goofy, and I remember him saying Mesopotamia all the time as like historic, that was like the ancient place. So when I, when I say Mesopotamia, I only think of one guy with a huge mustache who was my middle school teacher. But what we have historically, this is not a Christian thing, what we have historically is you could actually trace the furthest back we have any history in record is 6,000 years ago. Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq, Kuwait, and Syria, which they can estimate maybe 4,000 BC is about as far back as we can go, any context of humanity, any history at all. 6,000 years is everything we historically have on earth. This guy owes 200,000 years worth of labor. What Jesus is ultimately saying is there is a debt this guy has, and it's so far beyond attainable. And the story continues, verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, obviously, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. One of the things Shaylin and I are working through with Brooks right now, I don't know if he's right at the age, but I feel like I'm pressing it a lot, is that decisions have consequences. Like if you make a decision, that comes with some level of consequences. That can be positive, it can be negative. Like if you say this, that means this is going to happen. It's what we're trying to like press into the life of our kids right now. It, this guy makes some types of decisions. I don't know what he does but he accrues such a debt that he puts himself in front of the king with no ability to pay for it. And the consequences of that is he, his wife, and all of his kids are now put into slavery until the debt can be paid. This is typical in this time period. Like, you go into slavery, everybody you love goes into slavery until we get back to zero. Which means this guy's decision-making has caused hundreds of generations below him to be in slavery until somehow they can get back to zero. Hundreds of generations are now on the hook because of his decision. This is the situation he puts the entire family in. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. Empty promise for sure but backed into a corner, just trying to get his way out of it. I'll, I'll try and take care of it. Give me more time. Please be gracious. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
Now, understand the weight of this. Understand what's going on in this guy's thought process to sit in a throne room before a king with a debt so unattainable that's gonna cause generations and generations of his family to suffer because of his poor decisions. And yet, because of no deal, because of no exchange of goods, the king just says, hey, we're gonna cancel it. It's like you never did whatever you did to accrue the debt. You actually walk out of here like whatever decisions you made, it's just off the table. It's like it never happened. This is where he's at, and yet the story Continues, verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. So he, he leaves the throne room. He walks out, searches for a friend that owes him a 100 silver coins. Your Bible might say 100 denarii. This is a 100 days worth of work. So it's not nothing. This is several months worth of income. It's not nothing, but it's also not comparable. He searches for him, finds him, says, give me what you owe me. And this servant responds in a similar way. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, backed into a corner, and says something that will be familiar. Be patient with me, and I'll pay back what I owe. This is familiar, but it's also not an empty promise. This is like actually attainable. It's like, I'll get there, just give me some more time. Like, I'll get there, but I need a little bit of grace. I need some time to make some money. Within a year could be out of debt and, and repay it. But verse 30, but he refuses. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you just begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which is a life sentence. Like this context, it's we're gonna keep you alive well into your old age and we're just gonna make every day as, as bad as possible. This is now what he walks into. Verse 35, this is how... Jesus wraps it up. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, now here's the link. Jesus tells this story to help people gain perspective on the connection of the forgiveness you pass out and the forgiveness you feel like you've received. In summary, it's Jesus's opinion that if you feel like a forgiven person, it actually creates a soil by which you can forgive others in. Because according to Jesus, forgiven people forgive people. This is the link, this is the context. If you feel like you've got all kinds of debt that's been canceled, then you walk out of that throne room, you go find other people that have accrued some debt and you're just trying to cancel that for them. This is the link that Jesus gives. And so he tells this story to a group of people because he wants them to understand who they are in the forgiveness conversation. He wants to bring some clarity that regardless of what's on the table, regardless of the horrific and disgusting wrongs that have been done to you, understand, according to Jesus, who you are in the forgiveness conversation. This isn't just a statement about our horizontal wrongs, our horizontal need to seek forgiveness. Primarily what Jesus is talking about 
is the vertical level of forgiveness that we've been offered off the table. Uh, I, was just, I was just reading a book recently, and this guy uh, really could take you back to moments and sentences and conversations uh, in the like 40, 50 years of his life that created so much insecurity, low self-esteem, and terrible body image issues in his life. In fact, he, he could take you to a particular moment he described where he's out with a group of friends. Uh, they made some comments in humor about this guy's height, and what it did was create some really, really deep insecurity that he's been living with, like body image issues for years and years. I think just saying that, a lot of us could take you to, to moments and times and sentences that have created that in us. Like just comment here, reaction here, text message here that has so stripped us of dignity, value, and worth. It's made us so unhappy with how we look and what we're good at. So much happened. And I remember when he describes this story. For me, I didn't get thrown back into the things that's created insecurity in me. I was thrown back to moments that I've said things that very likely could have created insecurity in other people. In fact, one moment came into my mind immediately. If you know me, uh, I am somebody that can take it too far with jokes. I know that. And so for me, I hear some things and it's like, I don't go back to what's insecure in me. I go back to the jokes I've said that very likely could create insecurity in other people because I know there are so many wrongs I would have to spend a lifetime trying to apologize for and make up for. I could take you to one moment even in particular with one of my close friends that I don't know if it created insecurity. I don't know if it wounded very deeply, but I could take you there and say it would be reasonable for him to have an affected self-esteem, an affected image of himself because of the jokes that I've made. I could take you to those places. And I feel like if I'm honest with myself and I'm just looking horizontally, like I've been stacking debt for years against other people. I've been stacking that debt, and that is not even primarily the debt Jesus is speaking of. But like certainly, like let's be honest with each other, certainly you walk in here understanding you have done some things that has accrued debt in the lives of other people. Like you've done some things to wrong and hurt other people, whether it's intentional or not. And yet the, the debt Jesus speaks of that is so unattainable to make up for is not even a horizontal one, but a vertical one. Understand the position we stand in in the throne room before God because humanity, you and I, are the only parts of creation that does not continually worship, obey, and ascribe him glory like he's due. We're the only part of creation that think our way's better what we want is of greater priority. Our fame and our comfort and our pathway is what's more important. All while doing this with the brain that God's created, sustains, and holds together and giving us oxygen and our lungs so that we continue to breathe and live. We've done everything against a holy God for his glory. We've done it against him with the gifts he's given us. This is the standpoint, and yet God understanding the debt stacking we've been doing, like hoarding an amount of debt before him 
in our mistakes and in our sins, understanding our position doesn't even seek us out for this conversation of like, hey, it's time to pay up. Understanding our debt seeks us out to just say, hey, there's a way out, and I've created it, actually. I'm not just dependent on you to come to me and beg for mercy. I've created the mercy outlet for you. I've created the situation. I've come to you to help you cancel the debt. We don't have to make empty promises. We don't have to make deals. We don't have to work it off. We just have to come to the feet of Jesus and say, I have a debt. I understand the debt. I just want it canceled. I just want it canceled. I want to walk out in freedom. This is the context. And once you see and feel your place in the forgiveness conversation, it actually now is the soil by which you pass out genuine forgiveness that leads to health and vitality and life for you. There's this link between the forgiveness you feel like you've received and the forgiveness that you're willing to pass out. Because according to Jesus, the only people who have a right to withhold forgiveness are the people who have no need for it to be given to them. That's it. Forgiven people, they forgive people. Now, I I mentioned at the start here that some of us walk in here this morning with some horrific abuse and assault and wrongs that have hurt you in really deep and lasting ways. Some of these are very fresh as you walk in here. And, and for some of us, I know that it was malicious, I know that it was meant to wound, and I know it was meant to break. And I feel like it would be reasonable for some of us to have this feeling and this urge as we walk through a story like this to just want to say, hold, hold on a second, because you don't know all the details. Hold on a second, you don't know really what's been done to me. Hold on a second, if you just heard what happened. I remember a few years ago, I guess it was several years ago now, I got a call from my mom that uh, a a situation with a family friend of ours, uh, she was uh, in the hospital, likely going to die, and so phone calls were going out uh, for for people to just go to prayer and see what God would do. Uh, She got married, they had a little boy, Uh, she got pregnant with their second, she was very pregnant with their daughter, Uh, A routine of theirs was the husband would wake up, he'd go to the gym really early, and then he'd come back, get ready, go to work, those types of things. Uh, So he leaves before 6 a.m. Three guys see him leave. They think the house is unoccupied, and so they go to break into the house uh, just to rob what's in there. And when they break into the house, they see the family friend who's pregnant with their daughter. Uh, They then rape and murder her. And so this guy comes home who had just moved to Indianapolis. He comes home from the gym. He walks into his house, into this living room, in this scene in the living room. Horrific. His son is still sleeping up in the room, but now his wife and his unborn daughter are now dead. What's fortunate for us is that Jesus, in these types of deep hurt and pain, doesn't enter in and his word for those types of people isn't, well, have you gotten to forgiveness yet? Just forgive and forget about it and move on. That's not the message of Jesus. 
He's also not trying to place a numerical value on what's happened to you versus the things you've done to other people. Like throw a numerical value on it. How do you match up? And then you can give forgiveness based upon that. I said that some of you walk in here with some very real pain. I'm not uh, blind to the fact that enormous and horrible wrongs have been done to you in this room. I know that. I know that's where you've been. Let me, let me respond by saying I completely understand your maybe initial hesitations with that there's a greater story than just forgive. I don't feel like I'm there yet. I can say I, I understand. And I'm not here to belittle, minimize, or smooth over any wrongs you're dealing with. Let it comfort you that Jesus tells this story to a group of people who are talking frequency. Jesus doesn't enter into this story people in, like incredibly wounded, dealing with all kinds of pain from assault and murder and, and all these disgusting things. He's not saying this to them. He's saying this to people who actually need to get over some things and hand out forgiveness. And so what I think Jesus ultimately has for everybody in the room is not the same thing that I would say to everybody in the room. I think some of you walk in here, and if you told me your story, I think what Jesus would say to you is, it's time to start passing out some forgiveness. It's time to gain some perspective on the debt you have stacked up for years. Let that be the soil that you now start passing other people some forgiveness out. Like you're undeserving of forgiveness. Let that set the stage for you to pass that out to other people who are also undeserving of your forgiveness. But there's also a group of people in here who I think Jesus' primary message to you, if you shared your story, would be, you know, maybe more like, I see you, I'm with you, I love you, I value you, what happened to you was wrong. I think where we all ultimately need to be for our own health and a flourishing life is in forgiveness. I do think that. I think that's the ultimate goal. But I also think that some of you, that there's, there's a road that needs to be walked of healing and dealing with what's going on in your world and emotions and thoughts and dynamics and relationships. I think there's a road that needs to be walked, which I think the healthy end of that is freeing yourself by passing out forgiveness. I do think that. A type of forgiveness that's not a forgive if they ask for it. It's not a forgive if you think their apology was genuine. Not a forgive if they acknowledge that they've hurt you. This is just a, I'm gonna pass out forgiveness for my health from a perspective of who I am in the forgiveness conversation. And, and to help us, this forgiveness conversation doesn't come from somebody who's inexperienced with being wronged, by the way. The, the person who's saying some really hard things about forgiveness here, the person who's trying to draw everybody into the room, in the room, whether you're coming in here with a lot of fresh pain or not, the person who's drawing us into forgiven people, forgive people, is somebody who has great experience for not earning wrong done to them, but yet walking that road anyways. This is innocent Jesus who was wrongfully arrested and wrongfully beaten. This is innocent Jesus who hung for other people's crimes. This is innocent Jesus who took on God's wrath for other people's sin. 
And yet in the midst of this story, Jesus says while hanging on the cross wrongfully for stuff he didn't do, it's actually Jesus who says, Father, forgive them. Like not only do I forgive them for what they're doing, I actually also want you to forgive them for what they're doing. Hear me on this. It's actually in the pain that you don't deserve that you start to get a sense at what Jesus has actually done for you. It's in the pain you don't deserve that you get a sense at what Jesus has actually done for you. This is the intention of Jesus when he in verse 12 says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. There's a link. If you wanna be a forgiving person, Get some context and some perspective at who you ultimately are in the forgiveness conversation. Again, I I don't say this to, to minimize or to try and say, hey, whatever's been done to you, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And you might have a lifetime of pain and trauma and dealing with what's been done to you. I'm not trying to minimize that. What I'm actually trying to do is lead you into what would be a healthy and better life. I hope you know me enough, whether it's your first time or you've been here multiple times. I hope you know me enough to want to say some really loving things, whether it's hard or easy to say. I've, I've done some speaking around recently, and I've been asked a couple times, like, where's my favorite place to preach? And it's like, hands down here, hands down. I love being in front of this particular room because I love this particular room in a way I don't love any other room. And so I hope you know me that when I, when I speak of forgiveness and say, man, I think this is where you ultimately need to be. Wherever on this road of healing and dealing with your circumstances, wherever you're at on this, I think this is the end of where healthy people are who flourish. I don't say that because I wanna minimize what's been done. I say this because I think it's loving and what Jesus intends for your life. Because once you gain some context at who you are in the forgiveness conversation, it now sets the stage for your heart to start passing out forgiveness to other people who don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And yet Jesus would point you to the fact that you don't either. And yet he's done some significant things and dealt with some significant wrongs so that he could pass out forgiveness to you and says it from the cross, forgive him, forgive him. It allows him to stand boldly and say to his followers, I understand because I've been there. Nobody's been more innocent than me and nobody's experienced the type of wrath I've experienced and yet I still say, forgiven people, forgive people. This is what it's about, regardless of if they're asking for it, whether you think it's genuine or not. If you're married, this is probably the healthiest concept that you can get into is you know what, I have been wronged, I didn't deserve that, and yet I'm going to continue to pass out forgiveness because I'm one who needs it, both horizontally and vertically. I'm just gonna be somebody who's slow to offense and easy to forgiveness. This is the type of health I wanna have in my soul. Not a resentment that builds up, not a bitterness that comes over time. I just wanna pass out forgiveness because in the conversation, I'm the one who has a debt that's unattainable, and yet God came to me so that he could pass it out. This is our story. This can be your story as well. Forgiven people forgive people. 
I don't say it because it's easy. I say it because it's true, and I think it'll lead us into life. Let me pray for us. God, such a, such a simple concept, like it's, it's not complex, and yet so wildly difficult to actually do. Like it's, it, it feels easy to just say, hey, forgiveness needs to be the end of the road for all of the wrongs that's been done to us. Conceptually feels easy to say, and yet I know many of us walk into the room having experienced what feels like is unforgivable. God, it's, it's only gonna be through your power. It's only gonna be through open eyes to who we are in the forgiveness conversation, to who we are before you in the throne room. It's only gonna be clarity to that that allows us to feel freedom to pass out forgiveness to other people who don't deserve it. Allow us to not measure, to come to numerical values, to weigh our wrongs versus their wrongs, but to see us in light of who we are spiritually and allow that to be the soil that all of us think of situations and people that we just need to extend forgiveness to even today and find freedom and find health and find passion. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.